Hi, I'm Damon Frank, and you're listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a recovered life discussion about creating your weekly sober game plan and strategies on how to live your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now, let's jump into the discussion. We'd like to welcome everybody to Plan Your Sober Week with Damon and Christina, a recovered life discussion. We meet every Monday and we plan our sober week. We talk about our week ahead, how our weekend went, different spiritual principles and recovery principles that we're focusing on. How you doing, Christina? Happy Monday to you. Oh, I am very good. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, good, good. I, I am well. I'm happy to be here. And uh, yeah, it's it's a good life, sobriety. <laughs> How are you? Everything is going. Everything is going well. A little insanity. Uh, I think I told you, Christina. We adopted a uh, a puppy. She's like she's a little bit more than a puppy. She's one year old, and uh, it has just been a lot of work over the last couple of days. Uh, so I have had my hands full, and I have been trying to exercise patience, and uh, also a large amount of energy try to tap into a large amount of energy right because having a puppy puppy is a lot of work they are puppies a year a year old still i think they are until they're almost two but i don't know the official line well let me tell you it has been uh it has been quite an adventure the last couple of days i have uh, had to use a lot of recovery principles uh to not uh to, to not pull my hair out uh, but it has been good because it's got me up and going earlier in the day, which is something that was one of my goals that I was working on. Uh, I'd like to welcome everybody. Uh, we're going to invite some people up here in just a second to have this discussion. Just a, little, a couple of ground rules here uh, with the Recovered Life discussion uh, before we jump into this. Uh, we are all about uh, sharing and caring, guys. So we want to hear what you have to say. It's not just what Christine and I have to say. Uh, it's really about the community. So feel free to come up, raise your hands. We'll be calling people up on stage to talk about some of the things that we're going to address today in uh, Plan Our Sober Week. Uh, the other thing is, is that we just ask that you be respectful when you're you know, referring to other people and yourself. And we also ask that you just use your first names. Except for Christine and I, we're fine if you use our last names. This is, re this is recorded here on Clubhouse and using our podcast. So just using first names and protecting people's anonymity uh, is always good. Um, Christina, um, so tell me, um, we're in July now. Uh, we had a really great uh, podcast that dropped this morning on uh, that was all about finding your passion. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that uh, podcast we did this morning and it, man, it's, it's such a huge topic in recovery. You know, it, it really is. And I feel kind of like I'm an imposter sometimes when we have these discussions. Although I guess something, I guess I could come at it that what my passion is to help people. Um, and I'm always wonder, especially from an addiction standpoint, if if passion is, is dopamine seeking, you know, I don't know. I don't know exactly um, because I feel... The longer I'm sober and the longer I um, work on my recovery, the less, um, I don't want to say excitement, that's not the word, the less drive, you know, the more I'm in a surrendered position. And so sometimes when I hear that word passion, I don't only think of, of uh, what it is that I love to do. I also think about the energy behind the word. And I wonder if other people think that too. You know, absolutely. You know, one of the things that we discussed on the podcast this morning, and guys, if you have not, uh, if you've not, if you do not subscribe uh, to our podcast, please do this. Please do that. We've got, you know, six uh, episodes a week that we're doing, uh, two or three are with, just with Christina and I, 
and this one we were talking about passion. And one of the things that we brought up is a couple of things that I thought were really helpful in retrospect, looking back on this is one is that sometimes there is no one passion, Christina, right? It's just, it's like, for me, I shared in the podcast that I've had multiple passions and sometimes passions have, you know, I shared one on the podcast of a family project that we're working on that sometimes passions have a beginning and an end for me, right? Like, um, I'm excited and I'm passionate about it and there's a period of time and then uh, it's kind of complete with that. Other passions I've had like service and recovering stuff, they've lasted a longer time. Some of my business passions that I've had or hobbies have lasted, you know, a longer time. But I think a lot of people are afraid of passion because they really feel that they've got to pick this one thing. You know what I mean? This one thing, Christina. And, and that's what they got to stick with their whole life. Yes, you're right. You're right. I can remember, uh, you know, I'm 50, almost 53 this year. And uh, I remember being told, you know, find your passion. You'll never work a day in your life. And I, I just don't think it's as simple as that. You know, I, and I love that you're bringing up the time constraint because maybe that is something, you know, there is no maybe about it. That definitely is something that I thought that it had to be the thing that I was going to do for the rest of my life. And I think a lot of people, when we get into recovery, we become passionate about recovery. And like you said, that doesn't necessarily go away. But yeah, there's a lot of times where, you know, we have these interests and hobbies. And now people on average are having three careers a lifetime. So I hope that's changing. I think it's good. It's a good conversation topic. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I saw something online. It said that something over 90% of Americans had a side hustle that brought in extra business, right? Yes. Um, so I think people are learning, especially with the pandemic, you know, I know that I, you know, I'm recording this right now out of my home studio and I'm dealing with the dog, dealing with life, dealing with the family all simultaneously. Right. So multitasking, which sometimes is the killer of attention becomes, you know, part of our day-to-day lives. So having multiple passions is, you know, I, I think essential. You know, one of the other things we brought up, Christina, in the podcast was, is that a lot of times people mix passion with what they do with work. We, we just mentioned some things that we do that happen to be our passion as well, but it doesn't always have to be work. I think mm-hmm. sometimes people think, well, I have to have the most passionate job or whatever because, but, but really their passion is traveling or spending time with family or doing something else. And the work allows them the resources to be able to do that. So I think a lot of unhappiness comes with commingling these things. And then we find out a day-to-day life when we just have to show up and do the deal, right? Well, we just don't feel a certain way. So this, this might you know, not be my passion anymore. I'm going to start bringing some people up onto stage and uh, putting some invites out. You guys are in the recovered life room and we're talking about planning our sober week. We go over kind of things that we're focusing on. One of the things I'm going to be focusing on is what we said in the podcast, which is the, uh, which is finding my passion, you know, harnessing into my passion, doing things uh, that, uh, that I am passionate about making sure that I'm, carving out time to be able to do that. Um, what other things are you, you know, working on this week, Christina? Well, real quick, I want to I want to share. I thought I was unbiked a few minutes ago. I'm, I'm an amateur on Monday mornings. But uh, one of the things that I found interesting because I wanted to look it up, you know, what does the definition, what is the definition of passion? And I think it explains why I get more nervous around using the word. It's a strong and barely controllable emotion. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, um, I don't know if that's my goal so much anymore, but I definitely want to enjoy and love my life. And, you know, I love Mondays because we do sit down and kind of put, you know, I put my, in the old days, we use GPSs, you know, put my kind of locator on and what kind of week I want to have. And definitely this week, I want to be able to, to still stay in the surrender mode 
and uh, show up for my commitments because even though uh, there's a part of me that gets real lazy in the summer and and wants to, you know, when you were describing your life, I thought, well, yeah, that's kind of normal um, over here for sure. And working from home just means that you're doing both jobs at the same time. And uh, so I, I always try to look in and take each day in a much more um, surrendered uh, place. Um, I don't have any huge projects outside of what we do here in Recovered Life, and uh, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Getting back to the basics every week. I know I sound like a broken record, but that's what settles me, and that's what allows me to really be here and now in the moment. Love that. I love that. You know, I, I, I like that you talk about basics. Um, you know, I did a volley today uh, for, you know, our volley community. I did a little video volley this morning on the daily drink of something that I was working on. Um, you know, I've been kind of diving in a lot, I think, especially, you know, in regards, one of the great things about being a coach is that you can you know, you can dive in a little deeper on topics sometimes because it's part of your work, right? It's part of what you're sharing with other people. Sure. It's our job. And it is. It's our job, right? Is to, is to, is to dive deep and to go a little deeper. Um, and one of the things that I've been doing too, is that, you know, I found that I, I went to a 12 step meeting this weekend and I was there and I found myself rather bored. I'm going to be honest. I found myself rather bored. And, um, and I felt like the whole room, it was an online thing. It was like, it was, I don't know if you've ever been to one of these, Christina, where it's like part live. And th this one takes place in a pub in Santa oh, Monica. Like a hybrid. So it's, it is, it's, it's cool. They have like a tablet or something and, and it's like on a swivel and they're in a circle. So you're there with them, but they're also online. There's a lot of people online as well. And I found myself in the middle of it people kind of going there a little bit, right? But they would refuse to go deeper, right? right. Like they stopped at an area, you know what I'm talking about? And, and I found myself now with my recovery, more talking about the superficial stuff of recovery. Um, it, it's not that it bores me, obviously we do it, right? But I get a little frustrated sometimes because really I think it's about the deeper conversations that really move your recovery forward, right? Like we don't really want to get sober and be in recovery to just barely make it. You know what I'm saying, Christina? Like right. that, that bugs me a little bit. Like that's always bugged me about recovery is that the, just like, I'm in a, I'm not talking about getting back to basics, but I'm talking about stagnation. Does that make sure. sense? Sure, and 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 just like uh, saying things. Okay, I'm I'm dancing a little bit because I get nervous when I I don't want to sound like I'm hypercritical of a traditional AA meeting. They saved my life, but for me specifically, within a couple of years, I needed to find more conversations and more reality. Um, you know, I I always questioned rooms that they were always, you know, in the, I got sober and two, two things, either, either I made it today and this is the best thing I did. And this is all I need to worry about. That always felt a little unrealistic to me, though. I do understand the singleness of purpose, but also the, the meetings that were like, you know, nothing bad ever happens to me and I, you know, I don't struggle and everything is okay. And, and I've never been much interested in either one of those meetings for a long period of time. And so I love places for my sobriety and my recovery where I can go and talk about, you know, I don't want to say deeper, but different areas of growth and different areas of need and maybe that's why i ended up you know being somebody who is very passionate about codependency recovery um, because that just felt like 
um, the healing that I was looking for. But I, I do understand what you're saying. And it is important for us. Um, I mean, like I've said over and over again, the singleness of purpose for AA is to get you to quit drinking. And I, I did that, you know, luckily many years ago through grace and hard work and being a willingness, being willing to, to get straight um, with my history. But I wasn't going to stay sober if I just focused on that. I needed to have much more, um, many more options to go deeper. Yeah, and I, to I totally get that. You know, and I, I think one of the things that's interesting about 12-step groups, and, and, and again, I've been in 12-step meetings, honestly, where the whole thing has been very deep. They've dived down really, really deep. And if you didn't go there, they didn't want you there, right? Like, so I think it's just finding the right situation. But I think one of the things about when you kind of harness your passion, you know what you're doing, you're on the path to recovery, right? Um, having these conversations that don't, that are very superficial. And I also understand too, that if people are coming in, they're not going to be able to handle the deeper conversations, right? They're still in the conversation of, should I drink? Should I not drink? And I, I, I totally understand that. Like, and I think that that's a good thing to have. I'm, somebody was there for me to be able to do that. But I think being able to kind of challenge yourself that you go deeper you know, one of the things that I was looking at is that uh, one of the things I've talked about with the daily drink today was setting your mood to match your vision, right? And why I think that's important is I think so many times we think we have a vision about what we want to do in our recovery, right? Um, and it's, you know, this is where we're going to be. This is who we want to be, right? And we're either modeling that because we've seen it in someone else or we are, uh, you know, we've come up with that ourselves. We decided these, this is the, these are the characteristics and the traits and what I want to try to create in our life. And then we go about our life just doing things, right, to be able to do that. But I think mood is such an important part of that, right? Like, who are you when you're doing that? If, if you want a bunch of, if you want to have a bunch of love in your life and people around you that are like that, your mood's got to be set so that you're going to be able to attract that and radiate that. And I think so many times in our life, people are, you know, they want to be taken seriously, but their mood is not serious enough, right? They want to, uh, they, they want to uh, have a good time, but they're always grumpy, right? Their mood is, so one of the things I've been working on this week and really diving into is, does your mood match the vision of what you want to do, right? Are you setting a tonal mood out there of your life that's matching what you say you want to do, become, and believe, right? Like, is that, it does that line up? Because I think so many times the easiest way to be able to change our emotional state or our, our physical state is to be able to change our emotional state, right? And I know I have been, I, I've devoured any kind of information that is in this area over the years in recovery because I know that that is true that the ability for me to be able to change my emotional state and to be able to tap and to have that mood match the vision of what I want to try to do is where it all starts to come together for me. So what do you do to improve your mood? Well, I think I need, you know, I think that's a really good question. I think one of the things that I, I, I do is I have to kind of stop and pause a little bit and I use basic NLP things where I harness myself into a mood that I've had like that. So if I wake up and I feel a little disoriented or I feel grumpy or I don't really want, I don't feel motivated, I will take a time, I'll take a, like just a minute, 30 seconds, I'll close my eyes. And I have times in my life that I've harnessed uh, the, what that feeling feels like. And I'll go back to that period of my life. Okay, if, I, if I'm not feeling empowered, what I'll do is I'll stop for a minute I'll say, man, mm -hmm. I'm feeling overwhelmed and empowered. Okay, well, when was a time that I wasn't feeling like that? When was a time that I felt the total opposite of that, where I was empowered and everything came easily? I will close my eyes and I will, I will walk through what that felt like during that period of time from, from the beginning to the end. 
And sometimes I have to do that a couple of times. And what I find is that will change my emotional state. You know, so much of a great recovery, I think, Christina, is awareness. It's really, you know, I believe sobriety is a consciousness. And that's what really people are talking about. But there's a consciousness for everything out there. Right. You know, you say mood, and I think I, the way you describe it, it, for me, it sounds like the vibration, you know, like, and I'm sure they're the same thing. And I just never thought about it like that. But I do that very similarly where, and, and I think emotion includes motion and it includes um, your physical stance. And I know, you know, I've watched a lot of, um, a lot of information around, you know, doing things because I have a nonverbal son. And so one of the ways that I can help him is by, you know, modeling to him things that he can do with his physical body that will help him kind of, uh, you know, increase his vibration or better his mood. And, you know, there's, of course, that famous TED Talk that's done, that has all the psychological tests behind it about doing the Superman pose. And, um, you know, for me, it's a stance of sometimes opening my arms very, very wide and taking those deep breaths and, and also visualizing, like you were saying, the times that my nervous system felt different. And uh, yeah, some, I mean, I don't know. Do you think that's where the, the saying fake it till you make it comes from? Well, here's the thing. I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, Christina. And, and here, we're going to really get into this here, right? Okay. Let's dive into this because you and I have had private conversations about this. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why, uh, one of the reasons I think why 12 Steps has a bad rap and also just things on Clubhouse too, like, like sobriety rooms and things like that, is that people will walk in and they'll catch a vibrational energy. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we, we know this as coaches. This is true. Um, you know, religious science is very big on it. Science of mind, new age stuff, which a lot of where they derive some principles of, uh, of recovery of 12 steps came from the Sermon on the Mount and all of these kind of at the time were very new age thinkers. Right. Um, and one of the things that we know for a fact, and, and this happened long before AA, there were communities of people out there. The community would keep you sober. Right. And, um, I don't, I don't think, you know, in, in my, in my, um, in my interpretation, I don't think that that's really what the big book says entirely, you know, it mentions the community and, and the stories are of the community. I think the community is super essential in being able to have long-term sobriety. But one of the things that, 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 that we know is that being able to set a higher vibrational energy of people doing it, in this case, people that are staying sober, people that are doing the deal, right? If you come into that, what happens is that people will catch that higher vibrational energy. We, I, I know this to be the case because it has happened to me. That's why a lot of times when they say, you know, fake it till you make it. In my thing, when I'm talking about mood and vision, I'm not faking anything because I have been in a time in my life where I have filled empowered that things came easily, that, uh, you know, that, that opportunity and money and resources just came to me without hard work. Uh, you know, just came to me simply because I was in that vibrational energy. So it's not unreal. I've experienced it. Everybody's felt empowered in their life or had a sense that everything was going to be okay at one point in their life, probably. Right. So when you say fake it to make it, I say, no, we're not faking it to making it. We've had that experience. Right. And even if we haven't had that experience, right. If, if we haven't had that experience, we can use other people's experiences and, and trust and have faith that they've had that experience and tap into their vibrational energy. And that's not faking it either because I believe people when they've come back from really unsurmountable things and been victorious. I believe what they're saying because I know them. So I can use that vibrational energy and tap into that to change my mood, if that makes sense. Totally. Totally. And it, but I think you're right that that won't be the only thing that keeps you around. 
No, I think ultimately you have to do the work. I think, you know, and we see this, we see this on Clubhouse, Christine. I know this is very unpopular and, you know, people will leave the room when they say it, but they, you know, like they found a group, their vibrational energy has been raised. They've gotten a few tools and then they feel like, okay, well, I'm fine. And then they move outside of that vibrational energy and everything collapses. Right. right. Um, and, and this is, you, you and I know this in coaching, like if we're going to get right down into it, one of the things that we have to make sure at the end of the day, you know, I found that when people relapse at the end of the day, they don't relapse in an AA meeting. They don't yeah. relapse on their therapist's couch. They don't right. relapse in a clubhouse room. They're by themselves, Right. So mm -hmm. you, you're going to have to be able to sustain and have the tools and the recovery to get to it. Because even if you're tapping into other people's energy, and let's face it, I tapped into other people's energy. I didn't really believe that I could have long-term sobriety, but I, I started to believe the people around me that were telling me that I could, right? And I tapped into their vibrational energy. It took me long enough until I could do the work. Yep. Yep. You're so, you're so right. It's very interesting um, to think about. Um, and I, you know, to get back to what are my intentions, I, I love to have conversations like this. I love to dive deep and, and, it, and thinking about, you know, um, what we do on Mondays, I really enjoyed the reminder of setting my intention and my vibration slash mood to be in places in which um, I can help others. Um, and it sounds so funny because I'm a codependency person. And, you know, uh, when you first start your recovery in codependency, it's very, very confusing because, you know, what I used to do when I helped people was manipulate, right, and try to control. And now it looks very much like being um, a person who is invited into somebody's life and um, or they ask to come be part of my life. And I show up where everyone has an idea of that they want to grow together. And I also have an individual um, dedication to being good and kind to myself. So I love this. I think control, Christina, um, you know, our ability, you know, as alcoholics to revert back to the sense that we're feeling out of control or need control. Look, we know that most personal drama comes from trying to be able to exert some sort of level of control when we feel that we have no control, right? If I, if I look back at my life and I said, okay, where did that go wrong? A lot of the times is it was powerlessness, not feeling okay and powerlessness, right? And one of the things that I try to do every week, you know, is to try to reset myself, is to understand that the feeling of powerlessness isn't going to kill me, right? Because I don't like it. Like, you know, I share this all the time, Christina, that I really dislike powerlessness. Like, I think this would be yeah. a really great Recovery would be amazing if three things could happen. If I could have the power, life wasn't unmanageable, and I could drink. But all three of those things I can't do, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that that is that is the thing at the end of the day, right? It's like you got to feel comfortable with not being in control of the situation. Well, with not thinking you're in control, right? Yes. Because, you know, what we end up learning in recovery is that we never really were in control. Well, it's the illusion of control, I think, that uh, is the dangerous part with alcoholics, right? We believe that we are in control, right? Same thing with codependency that I've learned from you is, right? I mean, in, in codependency, we believe that we're actually calling the shots and it's for our own good. But really, at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's the opposite of that. Yeah. It really is. It really is. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is the time, but it seems like we have kind of a quiet crew today. So I, I, I have to say that um, 
that I do believe that there is power when you get sober that I didn't have prior to. Um, and so it's one of those paradoxes to me um, where I am powerless over people, places, and things, and other people, but I don't feel that I'm powerless over myself. Um, with physical sobriety, I had more power than I ever imagined, you know? Um, that was restored, where I actually got to make decisions based on, on um, you know, I, I got to make those everyday decisions on where my body was going to be and what I was going to do. I, I always find that kind of confusing and a little tricky, especially when you're new in recovery. Yeah, I think, um, look, the whole idea of powerlessness and unmanageability, I think, is at the core. You know, um, one, of the, one of the best lines in the big book, it says the lack of power was our dilemma, right? Not being able to have control over the situation was our dilemma. And I think we're always trying to find a balance with that. I mean, I could tell you over the decades that I've been sober, it takes on a different connotation, right? Powerlessness, really, when I first came in, had everything to do with whether I was going to drink alcohol or whether I was not going to drink alcohol, right? Unmanageability was exclusively, when I first came in, a conversation about whether, uh, you know, the wreckage, basically, of addiction. Uh, powerless and unmanageability have nothing to really to do with those two topics when I talk about it now. Right. So um, one of the amazing things about these core principles, Christina, I was thinking I was I think I'd left a message for you on this the other day is like one of the amazing things. I say this on volley all the time. One of the amazing things about these core principles is no matter how long you've been sober, they reinvent themselves in your life. Um, I find that to be pretty amazing. Hmm. That is, that's a heavy, heavy thought. I know we have Alexis up here, so I want to make sure there's time for everybody who wants to come up to share about your thoughts and share a little bit about yourself and let us get to know you if we don't know you and support you. But, um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's some deep, deep stuff that you just dropped, Damon. <laughs> Hey, Alexis, how you doing? Welcome to Recovered Life. Uh, we're talking about planning our sober week. What do you have to share? Oh, yeah. Thank you for holding the, uh, the space. Um, thanks for having me up. Um, you were talking about powerlessness, and I kept, I think I was in a room earlier, and I was kind of like, you know, hesitant to get up and say anything. And, and uh, I don't know, when you start talking about powerlessness, and it's something about, and I, that's one of my goals is to share more. Um, sorry, I need to I know I need to finish my sentences before I put my parentheses in, but um, so yeah, something about being powerlessness or powerless and sharing, um, you know, being vulnerable. It's uh, it's it's a uh, it's hump that I have to get over and just start sharing and giving up that control of oh, you know, if I'm silent, then everything's perfect. But if I open my mouth, you know, who knows what could happen? So you know, just wanted to say thank you for holding this space. And, you know, I struggle with recovery and, you know, giving up that control over lots of aspects of my life. And, um, you know, I mean, I trust that I'm going to do the right thing, um, but it's just uh, there's anxiety built with that, with doing it and, and you know, sharing. So um, just thought I'd share that. I can't really stay very long, but thank you for having the space and having me up. Thank you, Alexis. That's awesome that you came up and shared. And And yes, I know. I know what you're saying um, and how that applies to my life. So I can totally relate. You know, sometimes uh, I too will stay mute and quiet and have that, that anxiety feeling that, I mean, it's so much less. Um, but as Damon was sharing, and I want to make sure that I get back to asking you that question now that the sirens are gone over here, I, um, it does resurface and it's always interesting to me. It's like a new level of, of healing that has to happen. 
and I, you know, really try to, to um, not compare myself to others and, and at least have one or two people that I can share things with if it's not at a group level. Um, and always to be known, uh, I, I really believe that secrets, even if you're just keeping the secret of yourself, you know, um, help, you know, help me to stay on the edges. And so even having a couple of people that I'm very connected to when I'm in more of an introverted place and need to heal and protect myself for a little while is helpful. You know, I want to share something um, before we go to the next speaker, uh, Christina, and thank you for that perspective because I think it's so great. Uh, we had in the comments, somebody wrote, I'm nearly eight months sober. For the last two weeks, I feel less powerless over alcohol as I seem to suddenly have triggers that I thought would not return. Uh, wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that is powerful. And thank you for uh, that comment uh, in the chat. You know, um, powerlessness uh, with addiction, with an actual substance, I think is, is very tricky. Um, you know, obviously there's this illusion that people that with addiction have uh, that, that are fellows that do not have addictions don't have, right? So this, this seamlessly uh, never ending ability to recreate the story that makes alcohol and drugs favorable. Well, it wasn't that bad. Well, it was just a situation. It was just because of these people. It was just the time in my life. Things are different now. Um, you know, it was just because I was underweight, overweight, right? We have this ability. Uh, alcoholics have an ability to be able to recreate the history. And we all have an, a, a, uh, a broken relationship with alcohol, right? And so I think one of the things that I've learned, and Christian, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I think a lot of people that listen to the podcast, a lot of people in their rooms, they feel uh, uncomfortable saying that they've been sober for a while, but now we're starting to kind of think differently about alcohol, right? And sometimes it's like, well, maybe it wasn't that bad or, you know, uh, or maybe I can drink again or what, right? Um, I think this is, a, this is an alcoholic trait. If we didn't have this, we would not be alcoholic. And I think that's the first thing. But I think really um, this is a great, a great time when these things have come up in my life to work on, uh, to, to work on that self-talk and to be able to actually go into a place of acceptance. Typically, when things like this are happening for me, the feelings that this person shared, usually I'm in a place of non-acceptance. Um, Christian, I'd love for you to share your experience with sure. this. Is it similar to, to, to what I went through? Well, and, and, you know, for me, I use a, a different language around it. And first I'm so, so, um, you know, uh, impressed and proud of the person who shared that because we don't talk enough about triggers in rooms of recovery. And I think it's important to remember that, uh, you know, the words of AA are cunning, powerful, cunning, baffling, and powerful. Or I can't think of the order that we put it in now. So what happens when you've been on the planet for a little longer. And I want to share that specifically, I have had years where I didn't have a trigger. Um, I've had years, the longer I've been around, I can look back and say, wow, I really don't, you know, didn't think about drinking. Um, and then, you know, I recently last year went to a comedy show and was around people drinking, you know, it's like a two drink minimum. And I remember there was a, a craving of mine and I'm 25 years sober. And so, it, I think it does happen. I think that what can happen next after it. So like Damon was saying, you have to accept, I had to accept I am an alcoholic. And I heard that. And I remember the first time I shared it, I was mortified. Like somehow I mustn't be doing my recovery right because a people don't talk a lot about the, you know, cravings unless you're maybe newer. And, um, 
too, I did have this uh, kind of idea that somehow I would be um, able to uh, like that would be gone. You know, I had a period of six months, one year or whatever, and it took me a long time to get to that place. I had cravings very, very bad in the beginning because I was around alcohol. It was my business. Every friend I had had alcohol. And, and so there were times where it was very, very difficult in the beginning. And that, you know, I stayed in that business for a long time. I, I want to say that the most dangerous part is that when shame enters into it. And so it's very helpful for me to have, like Damon was saying, the acceptance around that my physical body will crave alcohol, that my brain is very powerful and there is an actual physical addiction that is going to stay there. Same thing, um, although it's not as deadly, but the same thing, you know, I used to be a smoker and sometimes I wouldn't think about it all and then I'd smell somebody light up a cigarette, you know, in the house next door and my body would react. Once those nicotine receptors are put on, they're on forever. So I, I think that um, everyone has cravings, everyone has triggers. Uh, if you um, truly struggle with alcohol addiction and that it's important to remember you know, what needs to happen. It's like, for me, it's kind of like a friendly reminder that, oh, yeah, I got to get back into my studies and I need to connect with a few people and I need to get into some rooms and start saying I'm an alcoholic, you know, <laughs> and that's the way I kind of look at it now. Um, the shame that may come out of it is the most dangerous. And um, I hope that's helpful, but I'm really, really Absolutely. glad that we shared that. You know, I am glad that you mentioned too about the stigma around this because, you know, I found that in, in many 12-step communities or just in life, if you're an alcoholic and you're around people who are not alcoholics, even right, family members or friends, if you say that you have cravings maybe over three years, right, after three years, there's a little bit of a stigma I think people put on that. And I remember like I've shared here in Recovered Life and I've shared, you know, on the podcast uh, that the worst time that I had in my recovery with cravings was at 16, 17 years. It was the worst, right? I, I had a really bad time at that time. And, and I'd been years without I what I would consider bulletproof, right? I wasn't bulletproof, but it felt like it, right? Um, and then out of nowhere, these things came. And I think one of the biggest things that I learned from this, Christina, was that, and, and I hope anyone that's listening to this re really grabs this because I, would, this will save you a lot of heartache is I, be, I beat myself up. I started telling myself, well, if I'm feeling these thoughts, if I'm feeling these things, something might be wrong. Something's wrong with me. I'm not doing it right. And it took me, uh, it, it took a lot of convincing from people who had way more time than I had uh, to set me down and be able to say, listen, um, this is our experience with alcoholism. There is no time limit. Uh, what this proves to you is that you're still an alcoholic. Uh, you have uh, uh, you have a broken relationship with alcohol. You had it when you were drinking. You had it probably before you started drinking. Uh, you had it when you came in and quit, and you have it now. My relationship with alcohol, how I view alcohol, will always be warped. I don't think about, you know, if I ever think about alcohol, I don't think about, hey, I'm going to sip a glass of Chardonnay and watch the sunset. I think about how much alcohol can I get and how much can I drink and where can I go secretly do it, right? Like that that's still like if, if I have a flash in my mind, that is the flash in my mind. And I used to beat myself up for that. Now I look at that kind of in my third eye and I say, oh, right there, that's alcoholism. Check that out. That's alcoholism. I define it, right? I define it and label it as alcoholism. And I, and I make it so not personal. Yes, it's happening to me, but it's not me. That's alcoholism. And my ability to be able to identify that um, has gone a long way. And I don't spend weeks and months and years, if I have alcoholic thinking, beating myself up for having alcoholic thinking. I move into the solution and into that vibrational space where that does not exist. And uh, so... 
I, I would just encourage anybody, if you have this, if this is part of your sober week, planning your sober week, is to take a pause before you take the club to yourself. Just to identify the fact that you can identify that that is alcoholic thinking means that you are in your recovery. You're doing your recovery and your recovery is working. And welcome to Recovered Life Discussions. Plan your sober week. How you doing? Hi, Ann. Hello, hello. Good to see you. I'm, I'm, yeah, good. Good to see you guys too. I yeah, missed the room actually here and there. It's just been busy. Happy, happy to be here, you guys. What a what an awesome conversation and and thought shared. Um, my perspective. Uh, first of all, I agree with everything that uh, you know that was shared because whether i was experiencing aspect of it or working with people who were experiencing different aspect of it it it's for me it's a lot of perspective it's how we shift so just to kind of put it uh, together i you know it's been 32 years for me and have i thought about it yeah, but what I found was that it was more that knee-jerk reaction. Well, Christina, when you mentioned being at a show. So if I'm at a co comedy club, what did I do? I used to hang out in clubs. So the first thing, especially comedy clubs, I love jazz clubs and all of those. So what do you do? You get there, you get a drink. So it's automatic. It's a knee-jerk reaction. And so I, I don't think it's a craving. I just think it's just an automatic reaction. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want one. I'm going to have soda. And uh, now I don't even think about it now because I already know what I'm going to have, you know, what sodas I enjoy or virgin drinks I enjoy. So I don't even think about it. Now, however, there's this other part where um, we, we escape to whatever the addiction may be whether it's drugs, alcohol, food, gambling, sex, whatever it may be, because something's going on with us and we want to feel better and we associate that thing with making us feel better. And so if we just stop and just ask the question, do I want to drink or do I want to feel better? The answer is always going to be feel better because we know drinking or whatever else we're doing is going to make it worse. There's, you know, as they say, there's nothing going on in your life that drinking can't make it worse or the drugging can't make it worse or whatever it is. So if we just stop and ask the question, um, uh, do I want to drink or do I want to feel better? The answer again, is always, I want to feel better. So what can I do to feel better? Who can I call? What can I do? Can I go for a walk? Can I, whatever it is that we can do to feel better right then and there, it just kind of stops it. And then it goes to, well, what was I feeling anxious about? What was I feeling afraid about? What was, what was coming up? Maybe, uh, uh, I'm at a place where some memories are coming up or some emotions that I didn't know how to deal with before. Now I'm strong enough to deal with. So rather than say, oh, I shouldn't be craving. Like, no, wait a minute. My brain is telling me there's something I should be looking at. And so getting excited because, ooh, I'm, I'm uncovering something else makes it easier to deal with it as opposed to I have a monster running after me. That's what I have found because no matter what it is, either somebody has the solution that we're looking for. We already know what it is. There's one way or another. Uh, we have the help. We have the resources. We have everything we need to deal with it as long as we're reaching out if we don't already have the answer and prayer my gosh <laughs> prayer meditation you know that's how that's how i always keep myself centered and no, no matter what's going on you know i'm dealing with some big projects right now it's like pretty big and i'm relaunching my business i'm like oh my god do i really want all this do i really want and other aspects of my life so there are a lot of shifts happening but i will tell you it's um whenever i'm feeling like right now as soon as we hang up i'm going out for my dance walk <laughs> because i know walking and listening to music is going to make me feel better it's going to distress me and i will come back and i will tackle that this whole presentation that I'm putting together. So bottom line is that it, we just, 
it's just emotions that come up and how do I deal with it is the question and knowing how I deal with it is the answer and then knowing what to do. I'm just doing it. Anyway, so that's what I have and uh, back over to you guys. And that was so great. Thank you so much. Um, you know, Christina, didn't this remind you what Ann said is exactly how we started yep. this with changing your mood and changing your emotional state, right? Like if we look, you know, how many people have you coached, Christina, when you're looking back, I'm looking back on, you know, people that I have worked with where I've gotten the call with, I'm going to pick up in the next 10 minutes, but I'm calling you out of courtesy before I do that. Right. You know, you know what kind of calls I'm talking about, right? Sure. See these I calls that we get. And um, what I've realized is by changing my emotional state, helping people change their emotional state, their desire for alcohol and to abuse themselves diminishes and starts to evaporate. Have you found that to be the case, Christina? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And in, in terms of codependency recovery, a lot of it is, um, a lot of it is, is walking through the anxiety that has, is, has set on, you know? And so a lot of times my techniques with people and with myself, um, has been about, okay, let's, let's calm down the nervous system. Let's, let's change that and delay. Um, you know, one of the, because I, I belong to many programs and use many different things to kind of escape this earth. One of the techniques that was in a food room um, that a food meeting that used to say if you want that because I am addicted to sugar if you want that you can have it but just wait a day to make sure you really want it and it was that belief you know changing somebody's nervous system being able to let them really like Ann was saying figure out is it that I want to call that person or do I want to feel better um, and I think that calling that person or picking up that drink or eating that food is the only way I'm going to feel better. And so it's a lot about connecting with the nervous system, settling it down, um, hearing some positive feedback. I mean, when you reach out and talk to somebody, not only does it help you, it helps that person as well because everybody's stopping at that moment and going, okay, wait, first things first. What do we need to do to get you support right at this minute? Um, and then, you know, that other technique that I've seen everywhere and was obviously uh, originally introduced to it was play the movie forward. You know, this, it, it's, there's no shame in having a craving. There's no shame in getting riled up or tied up and being put in a corner. A lot of times when I work with people, they have, um, they haven't looked at everything that's happened. So they have this anxiety that these feelings were coming out of nowhere. And so sitting down and orienting and saying, wait, 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 right now you are absolutely okay. And first things first, you have to take care of your nervous system and your body. And that really, really helps people. Mm -hmm. Helps me. Absolutely. I, I love that. Um, you know, uh, the right here, right now technique works for me every time. Right here, right now, I'm okay. Right here, right now, I'm safe. Right here, right now, I have everything I need. Right? That That is such a powerful, and if you don't know that technique, please connect with Christina and I, uh, because we will walk you through that, because that's such a game changer. Christina, I gotta, I gotta bring up a comment that somebody put in and asked us our opinion on that. Uh, somebody put, shame is 50% accountability. What do you think about that, they said? What's your comment on that? Well, I mean, without having dialogue around it, I'm not really sure what they mean. Um, you know, shame to me comes from uh, this idea in the belief system that you are a bad person, not that you did a bad thing. Um, and so, uh, you know, I really believe that every person and, and, and on this planet, including addicts, you can trace back uh, tragedy and 
and all kinds of terrible things to the one person who had shame to begin with and didn't know how to uh, get help for it. So I, it doesn't make much sense to me, but I'm, I might be thinking at it from a different point of view. I, I believe that shame is an internal belief system that we have no value. And somehow who we showed up on this earth was not a good thing. We are just bad. I really believe shame yeah. is the enemy. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go a step further with that, Christina. Um, I actually think, uh, so shame, we know something about shame energetically. Let's get back to the whole energetic conversation. Shame is the lowest energetic vibration. Meaning if you're anger or you have hate or you have envy, that's a higher vibration than shame. We also know that people relapse and make bad decisions and are in misery in that lower vibration. So for me, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to link accountability to a negative vibration, a lower vibration. I want to tag things in my life to a higher vibration because one of the things about the difference between shame and regret or shame and, uh, you know, feelings about yourself is that shame is a, is, is a feeling about who you are, not what you did. It's not about guilt. So guilt, guilt is even a higher vibrational energy than shame. So you could feel guilty that you did something and that could make you accountable, right? I still don't even like that. I think it would be to learn that spiritual lesson and that you realize that you don't want to do that anymore makes me accountable, right? Because if I'm using shame, if I'm using guilt, right? So guilt would be what you did. Shame is who you are. So if I'm constantly using shame and guilt to make myself accountable, what I'm really doing is just pulling my energy down. Okay. I'm moving into the space that I don't want to be. For me, that is what I want to do is I want to move out of that energetic field into a higher energetic field of love, acceptance, willingness, and, and might I even add what I believe, my, my personal belief, is that uh, much of 12 Steps is just bringing people to a place of neutrality. Neutrality would be better, for, in, 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 in my opinion, than shame and, and guilt. I don't, want to, I don't want to have anything motivated in my life. You know, I don't want to say, well, I'm going to do this because if I don't, I'm going to have shame and guilt. I want to say, I'm not going to do this because I want, I want to achieve this. I want to create this, right? So I think a way to be able to do that is to shift your mind, you know, and if you wrote this comment, I, I really want you to listen to this because I think this is, a, this is important. If you keep feeling yourself being pulled there, if that's your mechanism to, to, to motivate your life, that's pulling your energy down, being able to rewrite that story. And to be able to say what empowers me, you won't even, you won't be in the zone of those decisions to even have to worry about that. Mm, I love that. Yes. Yes. It's a totally different game. And of course we're speaking of toxic shame. Um, so Damon, what a great room today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you to everyone who came up and shared um, we will be back tomorrow. I want to remind everybody we're uh, in the Rewire Your Brain room where we take a look at recovery and addiction uh, from a neurological standpoint. And we have been doing an amazing series on the Brene Brown uh, you know, book, Atlas of the Heart, where we will be finishing it in the next two weeks. And tomorrow is all about connection and making meaningful connections. So I'd love to invite everybody there. And of course, Wednesday, I will be having my setting boundaries room. And uh, that is a, a keener look, a little more specific look on codependency and recovery and breaking your codependent patterns. Absolutely, and then Thursday, we've got Unstuck. And Anne, who joined us on stage here today, we come out that room together really great room. It's all about how to get unstuck 
in areas of your recovery. Everybody feels stuck every once in a while. Uh, so uh, tune in on that one. It's going to be really great. You know, Christina, I want to also tell people that if they're not members of Recovered Life, what does that mean? That means basically uh, you sign up, right? You're on our exclusive email list with exclusive content, uh, access to our podcast, access to our private volley group, which has uh, personal free personal coaching from Christina and myself. Uh, you can access the daily drink. It's just, it's so great. Um, there's so much free and amazing content there that you could take advantage of to really take your recovery to the new heights, you know, because that's really what it's all about, guys. Like, and that's why we do our planner sober week. We want to, we don't want to get sucked into the week, right? We want some intention going into our week. We, we want to say, you know, look, maybe I'm struggling with these, some of these principles. How can I put that out? How can I weave that in to what I'm doing throughout my day and throughout my week, right? How can I be more kind? How can I be more loving? How can I, you know, help people? How can I be more of service? Starting our week off with that conversation puts us there. Instead of starting the week off with how am I behind? What didn't I do last week? What do I need to do this week? How am I a bad person? All that kind of stuff. We, we don't want to do that. We want to set our week out with some sort of positive intention that's going to get us closer to where we need to be. So I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in today. Um, if you want to find out more about Christina and, our, and myself, you could go to info.recoveredlife.us and uh, there's links to our individual bios there, uh, ways that you could book up a, a call with us. Christina, do you want to tell people about Recovery Breakthrough that we've got going on? Yeah, absolutely. Damon and I have a, a beautiful program called Recovery Breakthrough, and this is for people who um, who are interested in taking their sobriety game up uh, a next level. You get to work with both of us exclusively. It's six weeks, so it has a time frame. I know a lot of people uh, struggle with the commitments, and you know, with our new world, we are adjusting. Uh, how we help people and how we work with people. So if you have something that has been a struggle or you just want to get to that next level, have peace, um, have an idea of how to obtain a goal or fix, you know, work toward fixing relationships, whatever you need, we are available. I'm very excited about it. It's a very, very cool premise and it's tailored to you individually where we kind of take um, all of our 54 years, no, you're long, we're older than that, aren't we, of sobriety between the two of us and bring it to you specifically for you. So make sure to check that out. Um, get on an application call to see if you're a good fit um, for this program. And I absolutely want to implore people to check that out and look for yourself. Is there a place where you could get extra support and kind of supercharge your path toward the life that you really want, the life that you wanted to become sober for? You know, Kristen, I wish I had this when I was in sobriety because sometimes we get stuck, you know, and I, I think one of the cool things about Recovery Breakthrough is, look, how many times have we woken up on a Monday morning, Christina, and said, man, this is on my to-do list again. This is on my list. Th this is on my list again. Like I haven't done this. And now this has been a year of putting this on my list, right? And what I like about it is it's really an incubator to be able to have mass transformation in a few weeks, right? Um, and exactly. I think, you know, and people say, well, you know what? Hey, Damon, Christina, you're going to make me feel uncomfortable. Um, and I say, yeah, but you're right. We are going to make you feel a little uncomfortable, but we're going to get you there. So would you rather just be uncomfortable once and then have it get there? Or do you want to just be uncomfortable your whole life and not get there? Right. And that's the thing you got to ask yourself, this slow bleed, because I think that's the thing that kills us in recovery is the slow bleed. It's the little cuts. And then soon we've bled to death. Right. I'm saying, look, let's go in, do that surgery Let's get that done and let's move on, right? Uh, so we can accomplish the next thing. 
I really wish that I had this option 25 years ago. So I, I do hope people will take their recovery seriously and invest in yourself. You can find out more about that at recoveredlife.us. We'd like to thank everybody for coming and uh, planning your sober week uh, with us. Uh, God bless you guys. Go out and live your best recovered life. If you are newly sober, trying to get sober, or you've been sober for decades and are looking to take your sobriety to the next level, the Recovery Breakthrough six-week transformation concierge coaching program might be right for you. Have Damon Frank and Christina Dennis build a custom roadmap to get you on the path to getting what you really need. Receive hands-on concierge coaching and stay focused and productive with our daily check-ins. If you're ready to experience your recovery breakthrough and start the journey towards the transformation you deserve, book a free get to know you call today and find out what is possible in your recovery. To find out more about recovery breakthrough and to book your free call, go to recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us.